0: Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn back to that 1 Corinthians chapter 2 text today. Let me start with the sentence I said at the beginning of our ser- service today. Your understanding and view of the cross determines everything. As a popular view of the cross Right now called the prosperity gospel that says the suffering of Christ on the cross was a once and for all substitution of the son of God in my place so that I would not have to suffer and enjoy the abundant life. And by that wealth and prosperity and no real difficulties in life because Jesus has purchased that for me and promised that for me. It's very common view today um, in practice in a lot of people's lives if not in theory as well. But what's wrong with that view? Well, what's wrong with that view is that it leaves out a very important truth which is found both in the Gospels and the New Testament epistles. And that being, as an example, Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Don't turn there, just listen to me read it. Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. See, I believe we make a mistake when we think that there is only one cross in the Christian life, namely Jesus' cross. Whereas Jesus and Paul, in contrast to that, have emphasized that there are two crosses in the Christian life, and that is Jesus' cross for us when he died for our sins, And our cross for him when we die to our sins. So Jesus taking up his cross for my sake gives me the ability to take up my cross for his sake. So what is true is that Jesus died to save us from hell. What is not true is he died to save us from suffering or problems or difficulties in our lives. See, he died so we could be glorified, but he did not die so that we wouldn't be crucified. Because here's the reality of the Christian life according to the Bible. His cross is our cross. We don't die on a cross for our own sins. We die on the cross to our sins. And the reality of that and the result of that is that his suffering for us does not exclude or exempt us from suffering or problems, or difficulties. Rather, it gives us the ability to endure them. So we might think of it this way. In the prosperity gospel, there is no cross for us. In the progressive gospel, there is no cross for Jesus. And we need to avoid both of those ditches. See, a cross for Jesus, but no cross for us... Is the prosperity gospel. And as we watched in the DVD series in study school, no cross for Jesus because they would like to label it as cosmic abuse, which is blasphemy. No cross for Jesus, but a cross for us is the progressive gospel. But the biblical gospel is a cross for Jesus and a cross for us. And that is the very thing that the Corinthians had forgotten. In Corinth, they had relegated it to only one cross in the Christian life, and that is why they had so much pride and so much division going on in their church. And that's why they were partisan and had interest groups. And I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Paul, and I'm of Cephas. And someone even said, I'm of Jesus. And while they were following a leader, and the way the leader looked at things and did things, instead of following Jesus, and in doing so, they had emptied the cross of his power. Chapter 1 and verse 17. And the reason it was emptied of its power is because there was only one cross, and it was Jesus's. And the Corinthians didn't believe any longer that they needed the cross in their own lives. They had grown beyond that, as it were. For them, the cross was necessary for salvation, but certainly not for sanctification. And so, again, just listen to me read. Here's what Paul says of them in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 8. Already, already? You have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. See, here's what they thought. In the Christian life that we're already kings. We're already ruling. We're already, we shouldn't have to go through problems. We shouldn't have to go through difficulties in our life. And for them there was no cruciform. Meaning cross-shaped wisdom. There was no cross-shaped power that was different than the world's. There was no cross-shaped, cruciform humility that was needed in their relationships with each other. But we have to come to the realization, as they did, that the cross is not, and I repeat, not just a one-time event that is to be relegated to the past. But as Jesus says, I read to you early from the Gospel of Luke, that the cross is a daily reality in the present. The cross is not just a way to life, it is a way of life. It's not something that just saved us from the penalty of sin in the past. It is also working in us now to deliver us from the power of sin in the present. And the Corinthians were not taking up their cross daily, they were taking up their scepters daily. They were sitting on their thrones daily. And they thought they had arrived. And the cross had no impact on the way they treated each other, talked to each other, worked through problems with each other, and their morality, and their money, and their fine it had completely only been relegated to saving them from hell. See, there are two mistakes that they made when it came to the cross that you and I often make. One is they were leaving the cross in the past. They were leaving in the past, I should say, what belonged in the present. They had left the cross way back 2,000 years ago for us, a few years ago for them, as a historical relic. And it was good that Jesus died there because he saved us from our sin. But the present power of it, to change the way that we relate to one another, was completely left behind and then they were bringing into the present what's belonging in the future. See, someday they wouldn't have to wear a cross, they would wear a crown. And they were acting like that future reality should be taking place now. Have you ever done that? You ever thought that if I come to Jesus and get saved, then maybe he'll fix my marriage? And maybe he'll you know, take care of my sickness or my financial issues. And we think that, hey, if I get Jesus, he can fix everything. And everything will be perfect. And I won't have any problems. And see, that's what they were thinking in their lives. What well, was only in the future, in eternity, they were trying to bring back into the presence. And that, that's how we should live now. The abundant life now. The prosperity gospel. Both of these views. Both of these views and understanding of the cross are aberrant aberrant the question is have you adopted either one of them in your life do you think that the future should be brought into the present now that hey you follow jesus why would i ever have a difficulty in my relationship or my marriage why would i ever have a financial problem? why would i ever get cancer why would one of my loved ones perish that should never happen to me i serve jesus or we think the cross has no bearing in our lives now that i can really do whatever i want and not worry about whether i'm growing to be more like him you see if the cross is powers only in the past but not in the present in your life you'll think that you can be saved but you don't need to be sanctified You'll use worldly wisdom and power in your relationships like the Corinthians did. And you'll power over people at church. And you'll power over people in your home and your spouse and your kids. And you will power over people at your job. And you'll demand your rights. See, Jesus had a cross, they say, but I don't. It's good that he died on one, but I don't need that. And you'll think that your cross is actually not dying to your sin but you think your cross is your spouse. Your kids, when they're out of control, your boss that won't give you the, the raise that you definitely deserve. You'll think it's the church that doesn't meet all of your needs the way that you think that they should. You'll think that's really your cross in life. See, you'll have this misguided expectation that everybody should do what you want, but you never look in the mirror to see what you don't do correctly. See, people without a cross in their life find it easy to point the finger at others, but rarely look inwardly to look at the ways that they fall short of all that Jesus wants them to be. We are good at self-fulfillment, but we are very bad at self-denial. Also, secondly, if we bring into the present what should only be in the future, and this is probably more common, your view of suffering and difficulty will be absolutely warped, See, you'll think you deserve the crown now instead of a cross now. And so that when you come into your life and you face real illness, real physical difficulties, cancer, some chronic pain that doesn't go away, see, you'll think and begin to doubt whether God really loves you. You really doubt whether he can be trusted. Is he really on the throne? Is God really in control? And if he is, and I pray to him, Why doesn't he change my circumstances or my situation? See, you'll really struggle with anger. And you'll really struggle not becoming a very bitter person when faced with chronic issues and loss of any severe degree. Because when you don't die to self, you won't be able to handle any other deaths, like death of a dream or death of a loved one, or death of a relationship in your life you won't be able to because there is no cross in your life. And in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians in these first 5 verses, Paul wants to remedy that in their lives and in ours. And so the structure of the 5 verses is very simple to follow. It's only two points. Paul wants to show the power, the present power of the cross, and how it worked in his life in ministry. And he wants to do that in two ways. How he did come to them, and how he didn't come to them. And in each one of them, and how he didn't come to them, there's two negative examples. And how he did come to them, there is two positive examples. So let me unpack them one at a time. How did... Or I should say, how did not Paul come to them? Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. It says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, here's how I came. I did not come. Ready? This is how I didn't come. I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Now this is maybe not as important to you, but it's crucial to Paul because he's going to say it three times. In chapter, that verse I just read, Look at chapter 1 and verse 17. He said it again, back earlier, when he said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but preach the gospel. And how did he preach it? Not with words of eloquent wisdom. Because when you try to use man's way of communicating the gospel, you empty the cross of its power. In his day, in Greek culture, philosophy and philosophers were all the rage. People who valued the communication of what they were seeing way, saying way over the content of what they were saying. And here Paul wants to say everybody, and he says it again. Would you look at verse 4? He's going to beat this drum one more time. And my speech and my message... It was not implausible words of wisdom. Do you see what he keeps saying over and over and over again? Here's what he says. I didn't come to you, and I wasn't this entertainment preacher. I wasn't the guy on TV that everybody flocks to. My blog would not have been one that people watched. My, 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 my um, messages were not one that people downloaded. You know why? Because I purposely and intentionally didn't try to get the power of persuasion to be the power that changed your life. Don't turn there, but this was such an important matter to him and such a big deal in Corinth to the people he ministered to that they were having a struggle with it. In 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, here's what was said of Paul. He says, for they say of me, his letters are weighty and strong. In other words, man, he can, he can write a mean letter. But his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. In other words, in Paul, when he stood in the pulpit, he didn't look too good. He had some physical problems. And when you heard him speech, you might say, <clears throat> boring. He wasn't a guy who filled the pews because he was such a dynamic speaker. That was not the Apostle Paul. Paul intentionally did not try to preach in such a way to impress people by how he said what he said, but what he said. Another t- chapter, Galatians 4, in verses 13 and 14, says this of Paul. You know it was because of my bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you. In other words, Paul had something so physically wrong with him, people say it might have been his facial uh, appearance, and, and more particularly his eyes. In Galatians 6.11 it says, see how I write. My own, He signed his letters every time. In the end of Galatians, he signed his name and he says, see how large the letters are? In other words, he had to write really big because he couldn't see very well. And so it seems like there's some sort of problem going on in his eyes and his face, maybe even some sort of deformity or something was going on that when you looked at him, you probably didn't want to look at him. And then on top of that, He wasn't the greatest speaker in the world. So you're listening to this guy who doesn't look too powerful and he doesn't sound too powerful. He said, but the Galatians, they didn't scorn him or despise him, but received him as the angel of God, as Christ Jesus. But see, that wasn't how the Corinthians saw it. Because if you don't come across really good in your communication and you're not a really great speaker, they really didn't have much time for you. But Paul wasn't any of those things. Paul practiced cruciform preaching. He even says later on in the epistle that the treasure that we have is in clay pots, and that's what he was. He was cracked. He wasn't really that value. When you looked at Paul and what you saw him, you're saying, "This is the guy that God does all that through." I mean... He's the miraculous guy who can do all these things and all these churches have been planted. And and you look at him and say, nah, not that guy. It can't be that guy. Paul says, that's what I intentionally do. I do my ministry and I preach in such a way that you don't see me, you see Jesus. So he says, that's what I've decided. I've decided that everything I'm going to do is about Christ crucified. And if that's true, why do we search for CEOs as pastors instead of shepherds for the week? Why do we search for pastors who can be handsome, sophisticated? Okay, we don't do that here. But why do most people do that? (laughs) Instead of models of the cross. Why do churches adopt business practices and entertainment models of worship instead of worshiping God's spirit and truth? Why do we settle for techniques and fads and gimmicks instead of believing that the word of God is powerful? See, Paul said, I'm no celebrity apostle, and I don't need the attention of people to tell me how great I did this morning. I don't need a pat on the back I don't need my ego stroked, and I don't need to be given any public awards for how much ministry success I've achieved. He says, I don't want to know any of that. You know what I want to know? You know what I want to mark my ministry and my life? Christ crucified. We're going to watch the Super Bowl today. Most people will. And it's going to be a complete show of power. How big you are, your record, how many Super Bowls you've won, how many teams you've beat, the success, the money, the marketing, all of it is going to be a huge power display. And while you're watching, think that this is exactly the opposite of the cross. I don't think that will ever be on TV something called the weak Bowl. It's probably not going to fly. People who have lost most of their games during the season, have the lowest stats, make the least amount of money, and they're going to be on national. It's probably not going to happen. But I am thankful, aren't you, for cruciform children's workers who don't need any of that. Cruciform nursery workers and teachers behind the scenes here at church and at Faith Christian School who do everything in relationship to Christ crucified, and don't need anything to point to them. They don't have to be given awards. They don't have to be doing, you know what, because their goal intentionally is to point to Jesus. So Paul says, the cross is not just for Jesus, it's for me. It's how I carry out my life. It's how I preach the gospel. It's how I do ministry. That's how I didn't come to you. I didn't come to you like everybody else would have come to you, so that you could look at me and see how great I am. And when you don't see how great I am, I get upset. He says, that's not me. That's not the cross. But conversely, on the other side, he says, here's how I did come to you. And he says two positive things. Chapter 2 and verse 3. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Please hear me. We desperately need a theology of weakness. Weakness, asthenia, the Greek word in the New Testament, is most often translated sickness or some sort of disease. And that's how it appears every time it's used in the Gospels and every time it's used in the book of Acts. But when you get to the epistles that Paul wrote, he did use it a couple times that way. But he has a distinctive and different use of it than anybody else has. In fact, Paul uses it six times in 2 Corinthians 11 through chapter 13. And he begins to talk about things that nobody else says. He says, you know what I think about my weakness? And three times he says it. I boast in it. You know what I'm proud about, he says? How weak I am. How limited I am. How frail I am. How powerless I am. He even goes so far in chapter 12 and verse 10 to say, that here's his boast, that when they persecute me, I'm okay with it. I'm content with it. I am glad it happens, he says. Why in the world would he say any of those things? Here's why. Because weakness is God's way. It is the way of weakness. 2 Corinthians 13.4 says that Jesus Christ was crucified in weakness, and then Paul follows it up with this, and we are weak in him. Do you know why Jesus came and died in weakness? To save you from your weakness. Romans 5.6 says this, that when you are still weak, Christ, at the right time, died for the ungodly. My greatest weakness is our sinfulness. And Jesus came as a man and took on weakness so he could save you from your greatest weakness. Listen, not that you might become powerful, but you might be weak in a completely different way. In 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9 you probably are familiar with these words. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. It may be this facial experience, the eyes that didn't see and may, the distortion of his looks and how he took a lot of flack for it. And he asked the Lord to take this thorn of the flesh away from him. Three times he asked God and God every time says no. And here's the standing response. For my grace is sufficient in your Weakness. And Paul said, So be it. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We're not good at weakness, are we? When the Hurricane Sandy hit, t shirts were put out afterwards when we wanted to build. And on the front it said, Jersey Weak. No, it didn't. What did it say? Jersey's strong because we weren't letting any little old hurricane that devastated the shoreline get to us. Now we're stronger than, we're not going to show any weakness. Paul says that's what the Christian life is about. Let me just, listen, listen to these verses just in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Chapter 1, verse 25. God's weakness is stronger than men. Chapter 1, verse 27. God chose what is weak. Chapter 2 and verse 3, I came to you in weakness. Chapter 12 and verse 22, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. For he was crucified in weakness. We are weak in him. Power is completed in weakness. When I am weak, then I am strong. Do you get what he's saying? See, and you won't get what he's saying if there's only one cross in your life. If it's only Jesus' cross relegated to the past so that you can die and go to heaven, and that's all the cross means to you, as good as that is, you've missed it, he says. No, it's a daily way to live. It's how you live, he says. We are into superheroes. I'm into superheroes. I have to be careful what I said. Last time I told from the pulpit that my favorite superhero is Batman, and I got literally within the same week, I got three Batman watches. Please don't buy me any more Batman watches. I appreciate it. But the, what's the one of the most famous superheroes you have? Superman. When I was a kid, they said, faster than a, yeah, more powerful than a, able to leap. Yes. What if we exchange Superman for ordinary man? Faster than Pastor Crompton. (laughs) I'm going to let that go. More powerful than Pastor Lardy. Able to leap over a chair to get to the table faster. Ordinary man. You wouldn't buy. You wouldn't go to a movie to see that. And then there's Iron Man. And we're trading him in for Tinfoil Man. And of course, not to leave the ladies out. there's Wonder Woman who will become weak woman. She can't do anything. She can't even throw the rope right. Would you go see a movie like that? You're not going to buy your kids. They don't want those figurines at home for that. But Bible heroes are different. Hebrews 11 characterizes them all this way: Out of weakness were're made strong, out of weakness. Gideon, God says, go and save your, your, the Israelites from the Midianites in your power and strength. And he says, what? He's hiding out, threshing wheat in a wine press because he's afraid. And God says, go, you mighty man of valor. And he says, you got the wrong guy. And then he says this, ready? Because my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. Here's what Gideon says. You know why you can't use me, God? Maybe you say this. Maybe you are saying it. I'm the weakest of the weakest. You could never use me. God, you need someone with power. And God says, You are wrong. Isaiah 40 and verse 29 says, He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, He increases their strength. You know how you mount up with wings as eagles? you got to get weak first. David faced Goliath who had experience far more in military matters than he did. He wore a coat of mail and had a spear and a helmet and all that weighed more than David did bodily and was far stronger than he ever could be. And David comes to him and what does he say? "I, I, I come to you with this unbelievable new technology, a stone and a sling. And what does God do? He defeats the nine-foot guy with the five-foot guy. Jehoshaphat says to the Lord when he has been given a letter by Sennacherib, and they're surrounded, and there's hundreds of thousands of soldiers out there, and there's no way they can win. He says, we have no power against this great multitude, nor do we know what to do. You hear what he says? We have no power, and we have no wisdom. Does that sound familiar? The cross says, you don't need that kind of power and that kind of wisdom. Asa said, God, look around. We're surrounded, but here's what he said I know about you, God. He goes, God, you can help, and it doesn't matter whether we're strong or we're weak. Have you realized that? Have you come to understand and have a view of the cross that God says, I don't need your strength. What I need is your weakness that's what I need. You don't have to be a superhero. I already am, God says. So he says, here's how I came to you. Fear, trembling, weakness. And then he says, secondly, and I came in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. See, Paul said, you know what the power was? It wasn't my speaking abilities. It wasn't my looks. It wasn't my ministry prowess. It wasn't my achievements and success. It wasn't innate in me. It was the Spirit. It was God in me. Not me. God in me that made the difference. And can I tell you this? I don't care what you look like and what you think your abilities are or they are today. If you have the Spirit of God, He's looking to use you. He wants to use you. And the Gospels are replete with examples of stories of people who were weak and did it God's way. Outcasts, Samaritans, demoniacs, women, foreigners, shepherds, prostitutes, tax collector, slaves. You know what they have in common? They were weak in their society. So, God designs it that way. God sets it up that way. Why? Twofold to destroy your pride and to display His power. Because verse 5 ends the text this way see the purpose clause? Why does God do it this way? Why does he let the weakness and the sickness and the financial problems and the cancer and the death and the lack of a job and not knowing whether you can pay your rent and and, and the struggles you... Why? Why does he let it happen? And why does he let it compound in your life and become more and more to the place where you're not sure how you can go on or if you can go on? Why? So that your faith might not rest, and literally in the Greek, it is the verb of being, let me say it this way, so that your faith might not be in its very essence. It may not be in the wisdom of men. So you might not think, you no, know, my faith, my salvation was not something that men designed and men put together. No, if that's not where it comes from. It's very existence does not come from men and their wisdom. Otherwise, they'd be choosing all the rich people and the wealthy people and the powerful people and the highly, you know, up there in the echelons of life people. That's how they would do it, but not God. Here's why. See, God designed it that in your weakness, he would give you his power and forgiveness and strength so that, he says, it won't rest or be in the wisdom of men but in contrast, in the power of God. So here's the conclusion. If you are so weak that Jesus had to become weak to save you and you could never have saved yourself, and the only reason that you became a Christian, that you're here in this church today, and that you worship him and give him glory, and you see that the value of the cross is really what the Bible says it is, you know what? That was all by God's power and design. And if that's true in your salvation... Won't it be also true in your sanctification and in your service? Don't you think that the very God who could raise you from the spiritual death that you were in and to life in him can also change everything in your life? Don't you think he can help you endure the, the, the financial problems and the family problems that you face? You know, truthfully, as you read this text, you have to come to the conclusion that Paul's biggest desire was just to get out of the way of the power of God. I just got to get out of the way. I got to die to all of these things that keep the power of God from being on display in my life. So you and I have to do the same. We have to die to intellectualism, that we have to somehow compete with having degrees with everybody else and proving that evolution isn't really the right theory and that See, we have to die to intellectually. We have to die to impressive eloquence and people's approval. We have to die to the world's view of success, that somehow my identity is wrapped up in my performance. And if I'm not a good enough speaker, I'm not a good enough person at my job, and I don't make enough money. So we have to die to all of that. We have to die to a scorecard that says that our church is really only valuable because we have so many hundreds or thousands of people. We have to die to attractive, entertainment-based worship services. We have to die to prayerlessness and not reading the Bible because we utterly understand how dependent on God we really are. So please, don't treat the cross as the Corinthians did, as if there's only one of them, and it's Jesus's, because he has also a cross for us And Paul says, it's what I do and live out in my ministry and in my life every day and in every way. He says, let's scheme together. Let's dream together of how we purposely and intentionally can embrace individually and corporately our weaknesses and say, God, here I am in all of my weaknesses and limitations and failures and at times even sins. And say, God, take it all and display your power and destroy my pride. Let's close in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. And we're gonna sing just a chorus briefly to conclude our service today. The verses aren't in our hymn book, unfortunately, only the chorus. But the verse goes like this Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and a life more abundant and free. If you're here this morning and you've never come to the cross for the abundant life, and by that I do not mean wealth and health and money and pleasure and never suffering, but the abundant life, the cross-shaped, cruciform life of knowing Jesus and following him and all of the joy that goes along with that, no matter what, your circumstances and situation is or will be, would you come today? Come and see me after the service. I'd be glad to take the scriptures and show you how the cross and your understanding of it biblically can change everything. Perhaps you're here and you are a Christian and you've come to the cross, but you'd have to be honest, it's been quite a while since I've been back there to die daily, to take it up daily, to have that cross and its present power change the way I think of relationships and people and my money and my life and my problems and what they're for and my weaknesses. I need help with that, Pastor. I know, we all do. We all do. So the chorus goes, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Oh, see, here's what he's saying. You'll see everything differently. Everything. Father, We have to be honest, our eyes are on, and we're even thinking about them now, our problems, our appointments, our dental, our doctor appointments, our surgeries, our bills that we don't know if we can pay, our relationships that are falling apart, our children that are rebelling, and our eyes are turned there, oh, please, please. By your spirit, turn our eyes upon Jesus. Let us see his cross and our cross afresh and anew. Father, that we might not empty the the cross of its power, but rather experience it in everything that we are and do for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.